welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Morgana. Tonight, we're welcoming Stephanie Quick back. Hi. She's 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 been here twice before. She's here for a third time. She must like us. Um, and tonight, we're going to talk about Sasquatch again. And we had such a great response to the sexy, synctastic Sasquatch that we decided to talk about Sasquatch and gender and why is it that even though the most famous Sasquatch image we have is of a female Sasquatch, it seems like most people think of Sasquatch as male. And uh, now I have to give the caveats and the warnings. Um, we're going to be talking about things like gender, sexuality, um, sexual organs, uh, bodily processes, um, things like breasts and um, lactation and menstruation. Um, if any of these things give you the willies, freak you out, make you nervous, make your stomach hurt, just don't listen. Just, just run off. Come back next week. We love you. We don't hold it against you. It's great. We'd rather you do that than faint dead away. Um, and if you, if there are any kids listening and your mom and dad aren't here, please, dear God, stop listening now and go talk to your parents about whether you're allowed to listen to this episode. Mostly so Be we don't get in trouble. Yeah. Cause we don't <laughs> want to get in trouble with your parents. Um, I mean, you know, so just, just, just so you know, we're going to be talking about things that might make people uncomfortable. And that said, let's just jump in. Ooh. Who wants to start? Who has who has the fun stuff to start with? I, um, I'll I'm start. Completely you, overwhelmed. Want you want to start, Barbara? <laughs> okay. I think you have a lot yeah. to, to you have a lot to say about this. I want to hear what you have to say. Okay, I have all kinds of stuff to say, and Morgana does too. Yeah. Um, so she'll just jump in at random. Yeah. And, <laughs> Most and, unhelpfully. And, <laughs> no, I, I like some of the things that you've said. So I have this theory about why um, we have this fixation on Bigfoot as male. I don't know if you, you two ever had this feeling in your head when you were a really little kid that cats were female and dogs were male. I had did. that. My yeah, I know did. a lot of kids did. I did until I realized that that's not true. But there is something about the energy of a cat that is female to a lot of people and a dog that's male to a lot of people. So I think that Bigfoot's kind of like that. And I'm not the only one. I was glad to find out that I was not the only one who thought that Bigfoot in America is kind of a symbol of masculinity. Um, he, th this, the author of this paper, this paper is called the legends of Bigfoot or how I regained my manhood by Blaine McCarty. And, uh, this was, he got a master of arts in American studies for this paper. And it's, and it's a well-written paper. Um, and he talks about how, Bigfoot was a way for he and his father to connect when, when he was young and then even through adulthood. Um, 
and and he spent a lot of his childhood with his brother and his father looking for Bigfoot. Um, and and then he talks about, you know, how Bigfoot represented a chance for him to explore what it means to be a man, a man not unlike his father. Bigfoot's personal to my life, a topic that I have many memories with from believer to scholar. I was obsessed with the idea that Bigfoot must represent something deeper than just an unidentified creature with some possibility of existing. When it came time to write on a subject, my only thought was on Bigfoot and masculinity. How manly must we be to encounter Bigfoot? And he goes on. I mean, it's an 87. How many pages was it, Morgana? Uh, I want something. to say 83 because I just read it today. Um, and it actually yeah. is a really good paper. Yeah, yeah I read is. it too. I thought it was really, I liked his focus on how, um, monsters and these kind of folkloric myths are a way for society at large to kind of work through issues that are coming up in society. Cause he, he yeah. kind of talks about the role of men changing, uh, in after the 1950s. The, yes. After the second yes. world war. And um, how this is reflected in various like uh, pop culture depictions of Sasquatch. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things he, in fact, here is here's a quote. Whatever the case, uh, I long to find a different, a deeper meaning in Bigfoot as a means of representing a crisis of masculinity in America in an attempt to reassert an outdated identity as a last frontier of exploring a primitive manhood in the 20th and 21st century. Uh, as he says, uh, men for the most part are the ones who encounter the creature, seek the creature, hunt the creature. There are people out there that believe Bigfoot is a species with male and female adult and child counterparts existing as part of our world, but somehow unfound. However, we mostly assign Bigfoot as male. The American people as a whole do not refer to the creature as female. Most Americans use the pronoun he when referring to it. Bigfoot is a man's monster, and men are the primary focus of this study. More specifically, it is how gendered norms create Bigfoot and how films with Bigfoot reveal anxieties about masculinity. Bigfoot becomes an outlet for men who want an escape fantasy to live isolated through this rugged, savage masculinity. The masculinity of Bigfoot attempts to recreate an outdated man, but fails to modernize in a world of updates and new models. Um, now, I know I know people are going to get all kind of tweaky about this, because I know quite a few people who go tramping about looking for Bigfoot who are not those guys, who, who aren't going out there and... and being mm, super masculine, carrying guns, and we're going to go get him, and we're going to do the things. Um, he's not saying everybody does this, and he's not saying that women don't encounter Bigfoot because women do. Yep. But what he's saying is somehow in our collective psyche, Bigfoot is always a symbol of masculinity. Um, and then, you know, we we come to he talks a lot about three different films, Harry and the Hendersons. And that analysis was actually my favorite of his analyses because I've seen all three of these movies. Right. Um, at different points in my life. 
<laughs> I saw Boggy Creek as an MST3K, but I've still seen Boggy Creek. That's right. You still saw it. <laughs> you saw the enhanced version. Me too. Yes. And it's awesome. <laughs> you know, basically he he does Boggy Creek, Harry and the Hendersons, and what's the third one? I forgot the third one. Willow Creek. Willow, Willow Creek. Creek. That's yeah. right. Um, they're all, you know, his analysis of film is, is really, really good. Um, actually his, his entire view of it is really good. I mean, he brings up Robert Bly, who for the youngins out there wrote, uh, two books, Iron John and Fire in the Belly, which was about reimagining a myth poetic view of masculinity where you go out into the woods and beat drums and you become masculine and it's good and it's nice. It's very new agey, but also kind of cool. But I, I did have a friend, uh, we were in a coven together and she made this joke about Robert Bly that, that just, it stayed with me for all these years. She said, when you have iron in the belly, you're going to have fire in the John. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, he, um, I think the other, uh, aspect about, um, Bly is that the idea that instead of, um, and this kind of relates a little bit to what, uh, he's talking about in, in this thesis here that, you know, in like a classical, uh, 1950s, uh, American nuclear family, right. First of all, it's like a nuclear family the man is participating in certain economic activities which do not have to do with connecting to the land the, uh oh who's the guy that wrote this uh, thesis that we're talking about i'm forgetting his name again oh, um robert bly no the the uh movie guy oh um blaine mccarty blaine he is talking about how um there's a big uh switch over to less physical work and for example, mm -hmm. like sales, uh, middle management, these type of things, which right. are more having to do with managing people, which is seen as more stereotypically feminine. And Bly had uh, a lot of what he was getting at with his um, uh, Iron John and things like that is for men to have ways to come together as men and to work through their own emotional shit all together on their own, instead of having it to be mediated through a romantic, sexual, domestic partner, mother, right? right? As, right. as a, as a female partner of a heterosexual man. Thank you, Bly. Please. <laughs> oh yeah. Please. Everybody, awesome. everybody do this. If you were a dude, <laughs> like we don't mind helping, but yeah, and I think that is strength. really healthy. You still find that with a, a lot of, even, you know, just like very young men today, uh, you know, there's this big cultural expectation that men don't show physical affection, they don't support each other emotionally, you're not supposed to open up emotionally. Um, and, I, you know, I think there's no reason why that they can't. And I think it's healthy for a, a individual people to have various people that they can, you know, be emotional with mm -hmm. so you're not just putting all the pressure on this one is they call it like the nuclear family i feel like sometimes like everything's kept in there and it's just like this yeah like a nuclear well, it reactor does become a it does become a a kind of a 
pressure cooker D- yeah sort of just i was functional... gonna say nuclear reactor but yeah, yeah, yeah functional nuclear reactor it turns into chernobyl in some families and it's really bad when it does yeah um so you can spread it out yeah. yeah yeah um one of the things that he really gets into when he talks about um the gender the genderization or the genderedness of bigfoot is you know he does say that there are female images of bigfoot but somehow they just kind of you know don't enter the popular consciousness they don't you know nobody really there's no henrietta and the hendersons there's no um patty and and you know some other people you know there's no patty doesn't come upon you know a group of women in their glamping campers in a having a circle and having a feast and laughing and drinking you know martinis or whatever she doesn't show up and join them you know we don't have that kind of imagery which i think would be pretty cool that sounds fun (laughs) I mean, if and if you look at art, if you look at comic art, I can think of R. Crumb. Yeah. He has the 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 big booby Bigfoot lady, who's very very forward and dominant. Um, but really, you know, yeah. even when you have and- the silhouettes of of Bigfoot, the the archetypal Bigfoot, it's always Patty. But usually, the boobs are taken out. I've seen one instance. Uh- where it is uh, Patty, and it, she's wearing uh, like uh, stiletto pumps. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Sasquatch with two S A S S squatch. Sasquatch. I like that, but most of the time, and and including, I've got one behind me back here of you know him doing this, making the devil horns. He, it's Patty. But yeah. there's there's no boobs, so it's not Patty. It's well, maybe it's pat. it's not a this Patrick. or a that. It's a Pat. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> it's oh, non-gendered. No. Yeah, I. Which Morgana has a thought. I yeah. Um, I have two thoughts. One going back to our crumb. I also found it really interesting that in that particular comic she saves him from his boring suburban white collar life and which he is, actually yep. which is a whole thing with with Bigfoot in this essay that we're discussing yeah exactly. in this paper. paper it's more than it's an all essay about it's a paper <laughs> escaping the the suburban boring white bread America the strictures of it of being stuck in this economic system where you essentially don't have that much power you're not working with your hands you're not using your own inherent human power to create your own wealth you know you are working for somebody else to create wealth for them and they give you money because and now I'm wondering if Bigfoot is a Marxist (laughs) That's a fascinating <laughs> thought. Um, <laughs> I want to see this like Soviet era, era style, you uh-huh. know, a, a poster with like, right? <laughs> the Big glorious Sasquatch holding... marks and with the marks yes. right next to 
big foot with the big, you know, arm with the hammer. <laughs> there you, know? you go. Um, and the and the high heeled shoes stomping on some capitalists. Oh, I'm loving this kind of getting a little bit of a collie energy there too. This is um, <laughs> go wild, right? We have some pre pretty wild cover art this for this show. I think. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, if you do not do like this it's gonna cover happen. Art, it will be so sad. I know. Um, I know. But you know, you've got you've got that even though it is a female representation of Bigfoot, you have the same themes coming out mm -hmm. in this popular Absolutely. culture depiction as you do with the masculine view of Bigfoot. And in a way, I feel like in Crumb's comic, the man still finds masculinity because he is, after all, being a partner to this strong, amazing, tough, primal woman. Mm -hmm. And he chooses to live out a primal life with her after. And he's a, he's a skinny little fellow. He is, but he's, he's like, look yes. what I got. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's good enough for her. And, and that, that, what does that say about masculinity? Again, you know, we have this idea that women always want the big, mm, that, and our mm, crumb's saying, well, now, maybe not, maybe not, you know, and if you just look at comics in general, if you look at superhero comics, yes, the women all have the gigantic bazongas and, and you know, are barely wearing clothing, but look at the men. They are huge and massive and some of them barely wear clothes and if they do it's they're very tight very tight <laughs> very tight they're painted on yes yes, yes. lycra doesn't even <laughs> yes. do that you know it's really i want to know what kind of fabric that is i want because to it's both bulletproof and paint. that skin tight <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's magic body paint um you know so but most of the people who read comics are men and so you look at that and it's like, so do women really want guys that, no, generally not. So masculinity is for men. It's what attracts men. It, yeah. It's like a performative thing for men. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I got to say, as, just as an aside, I spend way too much time on Reddit because I don't, <laughs> but I everybody has to have a hobby. Yeah. And I'll see these terrible threads where you get these young guys that can't get together with a woman for whatever reason. And they're saying it's because I don't have money. It's because I am not good looking. It's because I, a lot of these guys I believe it's because they don't have a big dick. And they get these women that come in and they say, look, you know, I don't like that big because it's painful during intercourse and there's things we can't do. I much prefer someone who's just like moderately around the small size. And he's got like, no, no, no. Every woman wants a blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they, it just, they're so bought into this kind of weird hyper alpha male bullshit that they bought off of, you know, forums online that, you know, you have, you know, well-meaning, honest women just saying, look, it's, it's not that way. You could look around and see it, but they can't see it because they're so bought into this whole weird yeah. uh, theater of the masculine that's happening yeah. out there. So it's sad. Yeah. yeah, it's really sad. And so I guess my question is, if 
Bigfoot as a masculine figure can be an escape for men and a way to connect with primal masculinity, but so can Bigfoot as a feminine figure. Does Bigfoot even have a gender at this point? <laughs> Does Bigfoot require gender or is Bigfoot? I mean, obviously, if they're flesh and blood Bigfoots, yes, they require sexual sex. I was going like, to say, that's how mammals work. Differentiation, they're mammals. <laughs> I'm not saying that. Think, I'm talking I like in the population. I don't think they, they do that. I, I think it they, would be great if they just get bigger and bigger and bigger and then they butt off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in, in a lot of um, non-Western contexts where you have these big, hairy primates running around doing wild things, yes, they ha they are gendered. And you have uh, men, women, uh, and children. So it seems like it is more uh, just seen as masculine um, in, you know, the West mm -hmm. from, uh, you know, the 50s on, which I think speaks to Blaine's, you know, hypothesis and view about the, it just getting glommed onto in our particular cultural milieu. Uh, it's a way of the cultural large working out various issues around masculinity um, with other uh societies times places yeah they you know big feet big feet are <laughs> or, or these sasquatch type of big hairy monsters as john keel called them uh are seen as um you know having male female and children yeah and and the flesh and blood bigfoot folk you know have postulated all sorts of things like um they travel in small family groups nuclear families just like the people in the white bread America um, suburbs. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, maybe they, I mean, so that they, they have this whole male and female dichotomy to the, the flesh and blood people. But at the same time, somehow in our heads, we, we, we say he, when we talk about Bigfoot, even I am though, also guilty of this. I, 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 I think catch we just myself do it. doing it. You know, I mean, think of pop culture female Sasquatch. I can think of uh, Sasquatch Bay on uh, TikTok and Instagram. She wears a Sasquatch outfit with a bikini over it and a belt and a pink hair bow. And then she does videos where she's sashaying through the woods yeah. with uh her her uh starbucks coffee or she's doing a dance with whatever you know music she's doing a dance with and it's always sassy and funny um she doesn't really have much in the way of boobs though um but but she is very definitely meant to be female mm. um and so but she bigfoot bay i think is the only person like off the top of my head that that is like very female and Sasquatchy. Mm -hmm. um, Even though we see them. Yeah, I'm thinking back to, uh, we talked on the previous Sasquatch show about Albert Osman. Yeah. And he's interesting in this way because I guess he told this story in the mid-50s, but he, at the time uh, that his uh, capture by the whole entire family of Big Feet had happened, it was it like supposed to be in 1924, and he'd been working as a lumberjack. So it's interesting, somebody like this very traditionally masculine, physical, out there, you know, kind of in the wilderness frontier type of job had the more uh, 
full spectrum of gender <laughs> big feet, right? And he also got kidnapped the way in Bigfoot erotica females get kidnapped. And that it was he insinuates that he was maybe supposed to marry or mate with the younger, like juvenile female, the the teenage female. Well, this again is another uh theme that comes up constantly in non-Western industrial context with these big hairy monsters, Sasquatch, Big Feet, um, the uh, Guru Yeti, right? All those right. ones we were discussing last time, they would kidnap people for means of sex or to want to breed with them. And um, another uh, paper that you assigned me, <laughs> Barbara, <laughs> we're gonna, is uh, by Hannah Marie Davenport. It's another thesis for a Master of Art in American Studies at Montana State University. Uh, it's the changing face of folkloric transmission, Bigfoot and the American Psyche. And she cites there a survey, survey of uh, like over 50 accounts of um, Bigfoot folklore and myth from uh, indigenous cultures all over the North American continent. This woman uh, did a survey, Katie Moskowitz strain. Her book is Giants, Cannibals, Monsters, uh, Bigfoots, and Native Culture. She was an archaeologist and uh, she's working for the U.S. Forest Service. Oh, awesome. In 2004. And so she started writing these articles about uh, these Bigfoot stories that are in indigenous populations all through the American continent from uh, the bottom uh, of the United States up through the Arctic, the subarctic. Um, so now, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk a little bit about a Bigfoot family. And uh, this this is one of those things I've been thinking recently. I was talking with uh, Matt Hopewell or AP Strange. And there's sometimes you, you kind of like think, are you a paranormal researcher? Then there's other times where I'm thinking it's like, you know, that Walter White on Breaking Bad, he's like, I'm the one who docks. I am the danger. I'm thinking like, I am the research because this really blew me away. Okay, so we're talking about families of Bigfoot, right? More than just the male. It turns out that in California, in Porterville, in uh, it's the Tule Lake tribe of Yoka uh, Indians in California. Uh, in California, you will have these um, kind of larger groups, like the Yokuts are one. Um, and they'll have individual smaller tribes within them. But these groups have been created because they're kind of in uh, usually similar ecologies. They have similar material culture. And a lot of it is based on like language and dialect. So they'll be able to understand each other. They have a lot of overlap of um, mythology and that type of thing. So um, the Yokuts are kind of in the Central Valley, the Valley, Valley Yokuts up to the Delta. And then you have the Foothill Yokuts which are in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, um, kind of running up, uh, let's see, what, uh, east of Bakersfield on up uh, through uh, south to south of Yosemite. Um, and it turns out that in Porterville, there is this, I think it's the Tule uh, River tribe. Um, it's interesting because First of all, they're the only uh, language in all these like 50 plus all over North America, big feet mythologies, where the uh, name for these animals or creatures or humans or whatever you want to call them translates to actually big feet. 
right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just like, you know, hairy giant cannibal, that type of thing. Um, they have as well, getting to the families, uh, it's like 500 to 1,000 years old uh, rock painting that's preserved. And you can go, we should put it in the show notes. There's a great uh, oh, yeah. paper where it has a picture of this. Oh, perfect. And uh, illustration is still very vibrant. And it depicts a uh, father Bigfoot, mother Bigfoot, and a baby Bigfoot. And the, the father seems to be having tears, crying. So why would they depict big feet? Okay. Um, this is the only... <laughs> This is the only uh, story that they found where Bigfoot helps create the people of this tribe. And I'm going to read the story. It says, all the birds and animals of the mountains went to uh, Hochu to make people. And I don't know how to pronounce that. I tried to look it up online. A lot of the languages in this area of the world are extinct or they have like vanishingly small people still speaking them. Um, so they went to make people. Eagle, chief of all the animals, asked each animal how they wanted people to be. Each animal took a turn and said what they had to say. Coyote said, people should be just like me because I am smart and tricky, so have them walk on all fours. Hairy man, our hero, who had not said anything yet, shook his head and said, no, people should walk on two legs like me. All the other animals agreed with Hairy man. And Coyote became very angry. He challenged Hairy Man to a race, and they agreed whoever won could decide how people should walk. Coyote started and took a shortcut. I was going to say, he cheated. He cheated, yep. didn't he? <laughs> yep, yep. Hairy yep, Man you was, know. Yep, Hairy Man was wiser than Coyote and knew that Coyote would cheat to win and people would have to walk on all fours. So Hairy Man stayed behind and helped Eagle, Condor, and the others to make people. They went back to the rock and drew people on two legs on the ground. The animals breathed on them and people came out of the ground. So first of all, I love that everyone's just like, yeah, coyote. Okay, whatever. Yeah. They yeah. Like, oh, what they're gonna do anyway. <laughs> yeah, you run off. You you run that race. Go on. Go on. See? Okay, he's going around the going around the bend. Okay, let's go make it. Okay, we're over here actually doing things. But this okay. So this is the re- okay. So this is the reason that this really struck me because a few days ago it was the birthday of my mother's mother's father, Archie Jones, who is a member of the Chichancy tribe, which is the Yoka tribe. So, so yeah, yeah. So this. Uh, Petroglyph, this origin story for people, is like about 100 miles south of where the Chansey tribe um, is. If you look at Porterville and you look at Coarse Gold in California, Porterville is where the Tule Lake tribe is, where this story comes from. The only one where Bigfoot helped create people. The only petroglyph of, of Big Feet in the United States. And it's just 100 miles up the road in the same ecosystem and the same general group as the people that I'm descended from on my mother's side. That's awesome. That is awesome. I couldn't believe, I was just, I'm trying not to swear, I was just fucking blown away. <coughs> <laughs> because I'm like, what? What are the chances? And then, I, uh, you know, evil me, the coyote part, is thinking, now, of course, anyone wants to say anything to me about Bigfoot, I would be like, well... <laughs> 
<laughs> but I have to try not to. But um, but it's funny. To, it's funny too because um, you know my my uh, my family on both sides goes back quite a ways in this area right next to coarse gold like about 14 miles up the road is a town called o'neill's that's where my dad's dad and his brothers uh lived on their father's ranch during like the uh 20s and 30s and they uh grew up there and um my mom and dad both had relatives who lived in North Fork, California, which is a little bit inland from there. And so I was always spent my whole, I was born in Fresno. I still have family there. Always spent, you know, a ton of time just camping on those mountains growing up and uh, traveling around there and a lot of family history in there on uh, both sides. But it's weird when you talk about masculinity and how the culture deals with it and stuff, because I was um, looking around all these places, because obviously it has a lot of meaning for me. Um, actually, just out of sight of North Fork one time, I saw like a grinning man doppelganger on the road with my husband in the mountains. Ooh. Yeah. Um, but so my mom and dad were uh, young people like the 1950s. I was born in 1962. And they would spend summers right next door to each other in this little town called North Fork um, in these general mountains uh, in the Sierras. And uh, my dad's uncle Bob had a gas station and right next to it was the Buckhorn Lodge that my mom's cousin Les had. Um, and so as kids, they both spent the summers up there but they never really met until later on when they were in college. Um, and the weird thing is that I found out recently that, you know, there's a serial killer, Ed Kemper. Yeah. He, yes. Okay. Now his first uh, major <laughs> murder was when he was 15 and he murdered his grandparents. He'd been sent to live with them because he was freaking his mom out because he was, right. he was trying to rape his sisters and, and kill the, you know, pets and everything. Um, Anyway, so that happened in North Fork, <laughs> where my parents were, and where I spent a ton of time when I was growing up. Anyway, I've asked my mom and dad, and they don't know him. My, my, my Uncle Bob was, um, for many years, who ran that gas station, was for many years the uh, chief of the volunteer firefighters there. So I'm certain that he knew about that at that time. But I was thinking, well, that's just like a weird thing, but is it related? And I'm like, okay, wait, Ed Kemper this huge, hairy, scary guy who runs around and kidnaps women to rape them, which is what a lot of uh, the indigenous and non-Western lore is about these Sasquatch. So, yeah. so what does any of this mean? I don't know, but it was weird because I was sitting there thinking, I was like, wait a second, why is this all? I don't know. Anyway, so it's when you get in these kind of synchronicity storms or something and you're like seeing all these like weird connections and meanings and and it's time to break out the push pins and the red yarn. Exactly. <laughs> and the map. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. The Ed Kemper is deeply creepy. The other synchronicity yeah. is cool. Ed Kemper is creepy because he was, when he she was says he up. was huge, he was a giant of a man. Yeah. yeah. He, well, that, here's another funny thing that my, um, my dad's mom's dad was named Popeye. He was actually about as big as Ed Kemper. Because I have like tall people in my family. We also have short people. 
But yeah, he was like, um, I okay, guess. So what I'm hearing is some great, 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 great grandfather of yours is a Bigfoot. And that's why these sinks are happening. And that's why y'all are so tall. Well, so we're getting it from both sides because my dad's side is just, you know, like a English, Scottish. But um, yeah, so yeah, it's it's just a weird thing yeah that was a uh, Popeye and he was um I look a lot like him it's funny but yeah he was like over six and a half feet tall and I guess he used to drive around like in the 50s in Fresno in like a little VW bug beetle like I'm unfolding out of it like, like it's or funny I get man. well exactly I guess there's one of the stories is that he uh was stopped at an intersection and this guy thought that he didn't move fast enough and it came out of his car to come and, and give him what for and he just stood up and the guy's like okay <laughs> Okay, I have to go now. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. So, yeah, but this all has to do with all these, like you're saying, Barbara, these like weird images of masculinity and playing out this theater of it. Right. And the 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 idea of the super large, over-exaggerated male figure. Um, I thought it was interesting that... Um, you know, I started looking at actual uh, encounters with female Bigfoot. And it's really interesting. I mean, we talked about the one last time where he fell off of his hunting blind and couldn't move and was laying there and he would have died of exposure and, and starvation if this female Bigfoot hadn't come and breastfed him. And it's interesting because I have found a lot of encounters with female Bigfoot where they are protective or nurturing in some way. So we have sort of a traditional gender split going on in the behavior yeah. of Bigfoot. And one of the one of the encounters that I I read that I really was struck by was doo, 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 where is she she was it's from sasquatch chronicles and if you ever want to listen to really really interesting experiences from people who have experienced sasquatch you need to listen to wes and the sasquatch chronicles and this is from episode 515 this woman was from the UK. She was on a business trip up in Big Sur, California. Um, she said, let's see. Dear Wes, my brother suggested that I email you to tell you about an encounter with a group of hairy things, possibly Sasquatches, that I had back in the late 80s when I was working in California. In brief, I was trying to take pictures of sea otters at the beach near Big Sur when a group of six one male, two female, and three smaller creatures came out of a creek, and the male waded into the water and started pulling seaweed out and throwing it back to the females that were chewing at its roots and rubbing it into their fur. This was about 100 meters away from where I sat on some rocks. The group noticed me when I tried to take some photos, and the male charged at me while the females were screaming. The male stopped about 50 meters away from me and seemed to be having an argument with one of the females as they gibberished away at each other. 
The last thing I remember was that it swung its body around to face me again. And where did it face me again? And then screamed so loud that my insides were vibrating and he slammed his fists into the beach. I think I must have fainted, but what I never understood is that when I came around, it was about an hour or so later, my jacket was pulled over my head and I was quite badly bruised about 10 meters from my car and could only assume I had been dumped there. I drove back to the hotel I was staying at and they called the police who came and took a statement. I was forcefully told that what I had seen were bears and nothing else. When I argued with the man, he got very agitated with me and asked me whether we didn't have officers like him in positions of authority where I came from. I replied that we did, but they weren't allowed to tell us what to put into a statement. He then asked whether I understood English, to which I replied, I was English. He just looked at me. I know. I love that. I am English. Oh, don't start with me. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is you're speaking, sir, but I'm English. Um, he just looked at me and told me that I had seen bears and not to say anything different to anyone else if I didn't want to get kicked out of the country. I don't know whether this is the sort of thing that you would be interested in, as I'm not from the U.S., and this happened nearly 30 years ago. But I would be happy to write this up in more detail if you think it would be of any use to you. I haven't spoken to anyone else about this other than my brother, who was a primate photographer and suggested that I contact you. So she's got a brother who is a primate expert in that he goes out into the wild and photographs the critters. And he knew darn good and well those weren't bears. And she knew darn good and well it wasn't bears. Yeah. But look what happened. You have the male being aggressive and you have the female talking him out of it. And then it's also very similar to uh, like a lot of UFO or, you know, just alien encounters where you have the amnesia and then you're bruised up afterwards. Yep. And you're not where you were when you passed out. Yeah. You are moved. You have missing time. Yep. She, she was passed out for an hour. She doesn't know what happened during that time. I mean, there's so many liminal bits and bobs to this. She's by the seashore. So, oh, let me tell you, Big Sur it is very, I, I love that area of the world. And actually, it's nice because that's uh, part of the, I, I've seen uh, free-flying California condors a few times in, a, oh. in Big Sur. Yeah. Uh, but the, it's, yeah, it's by the seashore. Okay, so you have these, like, several thousand feet tall cliffs that are, like, rushing down to the sea. And it is the edge of the continent. And you have this huge. You know, the Pacific Ocean, which takes up half the world. Yeah. And you have all these, the, uh, I don't want to say, say it's, you, it's a lot of eroding cliff. And as well, uh, it has big trenches right underneath. So it's like this very cold, deep, rocky, dramatic coast. It's not like, um, you know, the parts of the East Coast where it's just so nice and, and brilliant. So it just so gently goes out forever. It's like all of a sudden you are in the ocean and it's deep and it's cold and there's great white sharks and whales and yeah. giant octopus. Yeah, the Pacific doesn't fool about. It, it's, no. it's not a gentle ocean. No. 
<laughs> no, it's the ocean that I uh, grew up with. But yeah, it's yeah, you are like right on the edge of the continent. It's very dramatic. Yeah, and the like and the way she describes this is extremely dramatic. And even though I am of the uh, paranormal Bigfoot sort. I am never going to tell this woman that she did not have physical contact with an unknown being because she, she came out of it bruised and banged up. She has all of these visceral feelings, but I do find it interesting that, you know, even though we're talking about alpha male, you know, masculinity, the male rushes her and the female argues and the male does not swat at the female at all. I have yet to see that in, and I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm not saying somebody hasn't seen a male Bigfoot swatted a female, but so far I haven't found it. Hmm. So that makes me again go, that's an interesting twist on, on, you know, our perceptions of alpha quote unquote male masculinity. Yeah. Gender dynamics. Yeah. There's another, there's another case um, where it's a young girl in Florida who's gone into the woods to catch snakes, girl after my own heart. Um, <laughs> it's an amazing story. And she looks up and there's a female Bigfoot with what she sees a baby's arm over her shoulder. And what the girl does, because she notices that there is some intense tenseness happening <laughs> so she because she'd seen nature documentaries she crouches down and pretends to eat leaves like you would do to keep a uh, alpha gorilla from being mad at you um and this works after about three minutes the female bigfoot crouches down close to her and actually shows her her baby or shows her to her baby more accurately i think oh, wow and then gets up and stands up and starts to go away. And then the girl realizes there is a male about 30 feet away. And the male starts growling and shows his teeth. And the female gorilla gets in front of him. And again, not gorilla, female Bigfoot. I It's been a <laughs> long day, y'all. I've been up since seven. <laughs> it's been a long day. It's I'm a natural sorry. mistake, too, you know, because they're so uh, similar in look and their whole. And I'm picturing this in my head yeah. and I'm just like, woo. Um, and gets between them and argues him out of charging. And she also said that they did not smell. And because she was in Florida, she knew about skunk apes until they started arguing with each other. And then they started to smell. But apparently, you know, Lady Bigfoot won the day on that one, and they both just turned and left. And she haired back to her grandmother's house and did not go in the woods for the rest of like her eternal her life at that house, <laughs> which sucks. Yeah. But yeah, one wonders, you know, if Lady Bigfoot came back. Well, and I just feel bad for a kid to be scared out of the woods. Yeah, because the woods no, are a magical no and wonderful fun. place. <laughs> Yeah. There's a similar story about a female Sasquatch up in Minnesota. Um, it's another episode of uh, 
Sasquatch Chronicles. And and I'll put all of the episode numbers and, and all of the books and papers we talk about in the show notes so people can look at all this stuff themselves. Uh, but this this poor child was in the foster care system and he was a very abused kid and his foster father was horrible. And so he would run away from this man's house and run off into the woods and just anything to get away from this man. He was, he, he beat him. He was terrible. And one time he ran away and ended up in a swamp. Um, he had gotten far enough away that he wasn't in familiar territory. So he blunders into what looks like tall grass to him, but turns out to be swampland. And so he's, he's in there and he starts sinking into the mud and the water has come up to his neck and he's flailing around. He can hear the man's car coming up the dirt road and he's going to get caught and he's, he's stuck in the mud and he's about to drown because he keeps thrashing and it makes him sink farther. And he heard something in the woods, you know, off to the side and he looks up and he sees this monster coming at him, this big hairy thing. And he said, you know, she had big breasts. And then he said, leave it to a 12 year old boy to notice that even on the hairy monster, that's going to get you. <laughs> you notice the breasts. <laughs> Yeah, you're almost dying, but by golly, you see those boobies. And uh, they were apparently considerable in their size. So uh, she wades out there and she grabs him by the scruff of his neck, by his jacket, and pulls him up out of the swamp. And he said there was this big sucking noise as his you know feet and legs came up out of the mud. And she just sort of tucked him kind of under her arm and, you know, just basically took three steps and was out of the swamp and sort of tossed him on the ground. And he said that she, when she looked at him, he said that she had a look of pity on her face. And that anger. she wasn't, and, and she was angry, but she wasn't angry with him. He had the feeling that she had seen him run away before. And she had to not let him drown, but she didn't really seem to want to give him over to this man in this car that was driving up. And he got into trouble because he lost his shoes in the swamp because, you know, he, they got stuck in the mud and he pulled his feet out and didn't drown. But, you know, he lost his shoes. So he got a beating for that. But this this female Bigfoot, you know, she could have just you know, what did this kid mean to her, you know? Well, apparently, there is some sort of human feeling or empathy in in this, you know, being. So she came and dragged him out of the water and mud and ick. And all of these, these three sightings that we've talked about have had, have been known as female Bigfoot because of obvious breasts. Yes. Which yes. I find interesting because great apes don't tend to have very large breasts. Yep. There's one animal that has big breasts when that is they're us. not lactating. Yes. <laughs> that would be us. <laughs> and so my kid, Fox, God love that kid, <laughs> sent them upstairs to the printer after they came home from school and Said, would you get the articles that just printed out for mommy up there? Oh, yeah, sure, mom. Then 
he's real slow coming back because he's looking at the articles. Mm -hmm. like, <laughs> Mom. <laughs> Mom, why are you reading about Bigfoot's penis? And why, <laughs> why are you reading about Bigfoot masculinity? And what is this about breasts? And I was like, okay. So I had to explain the whole thing. And they were like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go have a snack now. I don't. <laughs> Really? The snack of amnesia. <laughs> yes. The snack of forgetfulness. Exactly. It's like the mist of Nepenthe. It makes you forget. Well, that's so, funny. Speaking of Nepenthes, that's exactly where I've seen California condors. There's a, a famous restaurant that has a patio right there in Big Sur, and it looks out on the ocean. And um, that was the first time I saw free California condors at all. <laughs> Most of these people are just like eating their food, and I'm like standing up, like looking up at people. Looking oh, at I would have done that. Why are you still eating? Look at that. He's like, you look like you're having a religious experience. I'm like, oh. you're like, I am. Yes. Yeah. So Nepenthes, wonderful. So that's that's cool. So you know, let's talk about breasts because. Why do why do women have breasts even when we're not lactating? You know what the answer is? Nobody knows. That's, that's the right. answer. They're sexy. Nobody, I think that's why, because they're sexy. That, that's the answer. That's what <laughs> that's what Desmond Morris says. So that's gotta be what it is. Um <laughs> they serve no practical purpose. <laughs> well you really don't. They just get in the way. Well, and that's the thing, and and you know, some scientists have said, well, they get in the way so that they attract males. And that's why, and it's like, you know, whatever I, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but they have this idea that, uh, it tells males and, and the rest of our, uh, people about our genetic health. Um, that we are able to hold on to fat so that we can menstruate and be fertile. I think that's a big one. I think that is a big one. That I, um, yeah, makes I more really sense than front butt. Yeah. Because that then makes all the front difference. Butt. Yeah. Because Desmond, yeah. Yeah, Desmond Morris is all like, well, it's, it's because they used to like, the males <laughs> used to like the butt. And they would do it from behind. And I, I remember reading this in high school going, dude, you need a new job. You need a hobby. Um, and Ricky so Gervais put, does a funny bit about that where he's like, well, you know, we used to, you're wearing that nice pendant there to, to your breast, right? Some lady's been on a first date with these, like, you know, because we used to fuck you from behind. And then when we fucked you and did you from the bed, she's like, I love this pendant because it's from my dead mother. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So Desmond Morris said that we, you know, we put on the knockers so that guys would like us from the front too. Okay. I don't know. What are we I doing about know. the side? That's what I wonder. What's what's next with the side? I know. We're going to have some we're we'll be like Diana of Ephesus and just have boobs everywhere. Boobs everywhere. All the boobs. We will nurture the entire universe with those boobs. So <laughs> So, you know, it's also possible, I don't, I don't like this excuse as much, but it is also possible that it's a way to tell 
how fertile a female could be. So if they're completely flat chested and haven't had puberty yet, and there's no breasts there, you can't get a baby out of that. So leave that alone. But if it has breasts, then you can probably get a baby out of that. So you should probably go mate with that one. And then for those of us who are, are beyond that and don't have the menstruation anymore, we have saggy breasts. Some of us do have saggy breasts to tell everyone, well, you can have sex with that one, but she's not going to give you a baby. So that could be advertising as well. For free. <laughs> yes. Here's the thing, though. A lot of women after menopause, they they actually gain breast tissue. When you think about a lot of women that look real top-heavy. So yeah. I don't know how this fits into this whole thing. I know. That's why I said I think that's some nonsense right there. I like what Elaine Morgan said. She's the one who came up with the aquatic ape theory, which I have loved that crackpot theory since the first time I saw it. Because she looked at, at human evolution from a female's body, not from the male's body as the norm. She looked at it as the female's body from the, as a norm. Why do we have breasts? Well, are they built in flotation devices? Yes. <laughs> they are also meant to hold for, for babies to have something to hold on to because we don't have hair. That's a good, that's a, she postulates point. we lost hair when we became semi-aquatic and hanging out in the shorelines and, you know, being out in the water. Hmm? But we get all wrinkly. Yeah. But, you know, we that's didn't stay out there long more, enough. Uh, for, that's, that's a true. better okay. texture for the babies to that's hang on true. with, right? The wrinkly figures, yeah. they got more traction. Yeah. That actually, all right. All right. But she, yeah. And that's why we have hair still on our heads so that babies have some shit to hold on to up here. And God, do they? <laughs> yes, they do. Every woman has had babies. Most of them cut their hair. I off. haven't even had a baby. I just helped watch my baby brother. And you it's know. It's true. Yep. Yep. They're. And they, they will don't... hold on to your breasts. And, and so while I was looking up, you know, breasts. Uh, I found this story. This is not Bigfoot related, but it is a primate and it is about breasts and it's a great story. And the reason I found it is because I decided, okay, does Patty's breasts look more like human breasts or like gorilla breasts? So I started looking around. They look more human. Um, so, but, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like in between really. They they have more of the shape of of human breasts. They're bigger, um, but they do. You can see that gorillas do have um, a little bit of hair on their breasts, not as much as Patty seemed to. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you, they they are definitely swollen looking, and they look kind of like human breasts, but not as much as Patty's do. So I'm looking all this up. And I find this story, and it's so sweet. I had to tell you guys. So in 2020, this happened in Vienna, Austria. Gemma Copeland is a keen traveler, and she didn't want to end her journeys just because she had a child. She also wanted her son to explore the world from an early age. So Gemma and her partner took him to Vienna, Austria. However, the mother didn't expect this trip would change her own perception of the world, but it did. So... She was at the Great Apes exhibit. She was in the orangutan um, exhibit. 
and her her baby was hungry and there was a little place where you could sit right next to the glass so she sat down and she started nursing her child well the female orangutan the the not the older one but the the mother aged one looked up saw her and came over and got right up to the glass and reached out and stroked the glass where the where the mother's shoulder was as if she was touching the mother and watched and watched very carefully would look at the baby and then look at the mother and look at the baby and look at the mother and then the mother when she switched breasts turned the baby so that the baby and the orangutan could look at each other and they looked at each other and the baby was kind of reaching out and the orangutan was reaching out and she said it felt like another mother being a breastfeeding support person she said she felt supported and loved by this other creature she said she burst into tears um and you know she switched her baby she was there for like you know 25 30 minutes having this experience and of course it's vienna so everybody is, you know, or, you know, walking through and seeing this and, and people are like, you know, not like Americans. Oh, that's disgusting. More like, oh, this is wonderful, you know. <laughs> so they were all, you know, and it was just this beautiful thing. And all these other women were just kind of, you know, around and it was it was just great. So I had to tell you guys that. No, I that's that was beautiful. Sweet. It was no. beautiful. Oh. It's so funny. I, I totally derailed it. <laughs> No, that's great. I, uh, cause that is something that, cause there's the whole issue. You were talking, uh, Barbara earlier about, uh, Zara mm -hmm. and her story. And, um, she was, I don't know if you want to start, uh, tell a little bit about her situation, but what it gets to me with all these stories of, um, Sasquatch, Big Feet in, uh, not so much in Western uh, uh, industrial context, but much more in uh, indigenous context. Um, but there is this whole idea that we can interbreed with them and that they're interested in our children. They're interested in us for sex. Um, and, you know, that goes to the whole thing. Like uh, the reason that uh, that woman in that orangutan had that bonding moment is because we're all mammals, right? Mm -hmm. So we all have this similar thing. I was cracking up because um, years ago, uh, my dad and his bonus wife, Doris, uh, they have a Swedish Valhoons and they had uh, Sophie, the Swedish Valhoon, who I was very close to. Uh, she passed recently at a ripe old age. Um, they bred her and she had a puppy, but she had to have a cesarean. Um, Erwin was her puppy. And uh, so she uh, had a little bit of a disruption of the bonding with him because Aww. she'd been put out. Yeah. So I remember uh, it was just like, he was only like a couple days old or something. I was over there visiting and my dad and Doris and I were all on the bed with Sophie and her baby. And dad is like literally like spooning her and she's up against him and she's, he's helping. Like he's basically being like a, like the orangutan was to that lady. It's like supporting oh, her <laughs> she's yeah. to, to breastfeed this baby. Yeah. So, but the thing is, is that, you know, we're all, we all have this as a common experience as mammals. And then of course, if we're primates, it becomes even more enmeshed and Zara 
was this case what was it like in the 1800s in russia mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it's mid to late 19th century in russia and so she was uh seen as like a quote unquote wild woman uh in this village and she was ended up being captured and kept by the village people um basically a kind of like in, in servitude or slavery and she was impregnated by several of the men in the village and had children uh and it really aggravated me reading some of the kind of cryptozoological takes on how to investigate this because they're saying, oh, well, we can do DNA analysis and find out if she was human or not. And it's like, wait a second. This is why I wish a lot of more of these people would take like just basic evolutionary biology because one of the definitions of species is that uh, the members of the groups are inter thank you, Morgana, are interfertile yep. and can produce fertile offspring, right? Yep. She yeah. had fertile babies from human men. She's human. Yep. yep. So you can look at the DNA and see where she might have come from and what that might say about her story, but it just, it made me so angry because this has been like a standard, <laughs> but it gets yeah. back to, it's the other thing, race, and all these definitions about who's who's human and who's not, and who maybe is like three-fifths of a human, or blood quantum, all this, which I don't think we're yeah. going to get into. But it's big, another big angle. This is why we need to have more Sasquatch shows. <laughs> but um, It's true, though. It's true. It's possible that she was an African slave is what the latest DNA analysis that I've seen from her um, offspring and the descendants of her offspring. Yeah. Um, but again, we mated with the Denisovans. We mated with the, the Neanderthal. We are not a pure species of one lineage that, you know, came straight down. So, if we can mate with Sasquatch and create fertile offspring, then we, they are human. Yep. They are human of some sort. Yep. Yeah. And that is okay. So I've been going on to, I've seen it on Reddit and I've also looked on a bunch of Sasquatch forums. I am not going to read these verbatim or out the people who said these things. Cause I'm basically going to say they're ignorant of how human biology works much less primate biology <laughs> um because if you're gonna be a flesh and blood bigfooter if you're gonna say it is a physical species living terrestrially on the earth from the earth evolved on the earth is still evolving whatever you have to study actual biology if you're going to do that and not start going off in weird directions with your theorization, like they were talking about, well, we should talk about the mating habits of, of Bigfoot. And I'm like, yeah, Oh, this is like to talk about. <laughs> you don't know the mating habits of Bigfoot. It's One, just, you haven't observed it. So you don't know. Like thinking about it. <laughs> That's my fair. Theory. I mean, there's plenty of erotic 
fiction written about the mating habits of Bigfoot. So I can see why people written would want to think women. about it. Written by women. Ah. That's 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 in that paper too. <laughs> but <laughs> just like it's all in there. <laughs> so Barbara, you were saying I'm sorry. <laughs> but sorry. Anyway. So you know, these these guys are talking about, well, you know, um, you know, they probably have a heat cycle so that they're pregnant in the the winter and then give birth in the spring like um you know deer do and i'm like ah heat cycle women don't have those primates don't have those that's not how it works we are available to become pregnant at any time through the year because we menstruate it's different from estrus, which is heat. Totally. These are guys that are like flummoxed and like, I wonder what all those always and uh, stay free items are in the supermarket, yes. you know? <laughs> yes. These are the guys who are like, you know, oh, d d don't have it out in the open. You know, it's like, oh, for, for, for God's sake. You know, Can't you just pee it out like when you're, you know, no. anyway, oh <laughs> let's not get into clots. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like the ignorance <laughs> just gets to See, me. This is why I said to people, if you get squiggly, don't listen. So if you're still listening and you get squiggly, I warned you. You were, um, you were warned. You were forewarned. But, you know, they'll say things like that. Like, well, I'm sure that the Bigfoot knows the, the uh, times of plenty and the times of famine so the the heat cycle will be can you hear this it's just like this is not how biology works y'all yeah. that you know they time it this way i'm like humans just get pregnant at the drop of a hat y'all well, Come it, on. it gets back to what you were talking about with fat levels right you need yeah. if, if you're going to be able to menstruate you need to have a certain percentage of body fat yeah um absolutely and this gets back to actually one of my theories about uh aliens as you know like josh cushion has, has done, done a lot on like food alien exchanges mm -hmm. food and then of course there are a ton of encounters sexual encounters between humans and aliens like coming from flying saucers those type of aliens from the sky or whatever um and it is uh it's not just like a fun thing it's like always very much into we are making babies together right mm -hmm. so again we have that thing where it's like we are demonstrating to you that we are the same we are the same species we are linked we are family right mm -hmm. um levy strauss was a structural anthropologist he talked about uh how most uh pre-industrial societies uh, operate on a gift exchange, right? So the idea mm -hmm. is that you're constantly giving gifts to people and then they are giving it back to you and to others, right? Reciprocity. Exactly. So Anthropology 101, there you go. Thank you, yes. If people would take Anthropology 101, I would be thrilled. I know, <laughs> anyway, I know. really fun. Morgana, my light, <laughs> light of my, light of my life. <laughs> So, but he said, you know, this is classic statement. There are two, the two most basic gifts in society are the gift of food and the gift of a woman, which is a gross way of putting it, right? I like to say the exchange of food, the exchange, a sexual exchange that results in children, mm -hmm. right? Because um, like even today, you can get, if you, if you get married and you get divorced, there's no kids, 
that's it. You don't ever have to have anything to do with each other again. But right. as soon as a baby is in there, like the state is going to take a big interest in like tracking your ass down and making sure you pay up. And you and know? and the the best the needs of the child are first best yes. provided for. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what we see a lot to me. When you have the exchange of food, when you have the uh, sexual exchange that results in children, it is saying, it's like if, they, let's say, the aliens were from Mars and came down here and watched us, they say, how do we say that we are the same, that we are related, that we are family? It's these two exchanges. But food relates to fat because fat is what... Because in terms of uh, evolution and biology, you're always looking forward, right? Mm -hmm. um, the past. Uh, and so what, what women need to become fertile is they need a certain level of body fat. If you are going to uh, carry the pregnancy to term with a live birth, you need nutrition. You need fat. If you are going to breastfeed, successfully and get that child moved on to solid food you need fat um so food and sex are like completely intertwined because to succeed at sex as far as you have to have food you have to have food yep i always think um this is getting back to the sierra nevadas the land of my ancestors um i don't know over 20 years ago uh there was this is before the internet and when you would just have like radio reports of the weather and stuff and weather forecasting wasn't as good. There was a young couple that had just been married and I believe they were from the East Bay of San Francisco, just like 20, 21 or something. They had a little baby and um, there was a huge snowstorm. They were going to go visit, I think the, the wife's grandmother, mm -hmm. Barbara, you remember this? Yep. It got very famous. They were just like just before the roads closed going over the Sierra Nevadas, which are big, tall mountains. You know, you're 9,000 feet passes, 11,000 feet passes. I forget what level they were up, but they got snowed in. And um, they were both young and healthy. The uh, father dug a snow cave for his wife and set her in there with the baby that was nursing. And he hiked out and got help and got them back. And they were all fine and healthy. And I think that both the mom and dad lost some toes to frostbite, but the baby was in like fucking pristine condition. Yeah. Women, this is why you have saddlebags, like big, big ass, big thighs. Yep. You know, that is why, because you get in that type of extreme circumstance and your body still has that food to draw on, which shows mm -hmm. the real, um, you know, why something like uh, the Venus of Willendorf would be a uh, such a revered and uh, attractive and charismatic figure in those times when things get really dicey. You know, when you have that fat, it means that you have the ability to um, go over the lean times and still, you know, feed your babies and not have yep. them die. Right. Yep. So That's that, the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Okay, you keep talking about the aliens. Yeah. They don't have body fat if you look at the grave. Exactly. Yes. So that's that, why they yeah. need our women. I, that's that, the first time I've ever thought of it that way. 
No, that's why they always seem so neat. There's, uh, they seem a lot more. It, let's see, in interactions, the classical interactions with a big hairy monster, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, versus with the aliens. The aliens always seem really neat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bigfoot do. just walks away. Bigfoot's <laughs> like fine. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. Bigfoot's a rugged individualist who don't need no man. <laughs> she don't communist, need no man. <laughs> Marxist. But also rugged individualists. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's amazing. But yeah, the aliens are always saying, we need you to show you, you know, how to breastfeed, how to play with babies, uh, you know, how to give, show love and affection. You know, that's it's like always, yeah, I never, that, I hadn't really thought of that until you said that right now. But yeah, it's a weird, I don't know, the whole thing is, it's like a weird dynamic, but it's like there's a very, uh, clear themes around uh sexuality and family and gender roles and 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 the other it's, yeah it, yes it's it's all it's all in there i you know i so strange I, I didn't even think of going anywhere near the grays tonight and yet we did and it makes so much sense it, it really does so when you look at at you know this the sexuality oh yeah i i had the thing about the penises i forgot I, yeah I, I, this I, I, is <laughs> this is something that i was talking with mom about which is ties into my our bigfoots big feet sasquatches i'll go with sasquatches our sasquatches very obviously sex sexed physically like do they are they do they clearly have genitalia on display all the time and that's why people go their male instead of female or, or do they not because i've read a lot of bigfoot cases not all of them i've probably not even read a representative sample of all the bigfoot cases in the world but over my lifetime i've been interested in bigfoot and i've read about bigfoot a lot um, and I, there are not that many cases where people are like, and Bigfoot's penis was like this. And I don't know if that's because Americans don't want to talk about Bigfoot penises or if they're not noticing the Bigfoot penises or if Bigfoot, it's not displaying a penis. Is Bigfoot a grower? Or a exactly. Shower? That's the question. Is he very hairy? And so that's you what can't I always think. It? And there's all this hair. How could you, I don't know. Right. And I don't know. It just, that was, that was why I was like, why? Was keeping you up at night. It was. <laughs> it's like, I, small things about the paranormal. Just small, small things. And I have to figure it out. Well, that's why you can't see it. Right. Maybe. I don't know. It's invisible. <laughs> See, it's the stealth penis <laughs> it's like a dog's coming out oh god <clears throat> that's Barbara, possible what? though <laughs> I mean it is I mean it's not likely but it's possible so I, I, I read this great article from Darren Nash on uh, tetrapod zoology he's actually a paleontologist but he also talks about monsters and cryptids, and he's really, really super cool. You would like him, Morgana. You should read his blog. Okay. Um, he wrote this article back in 2018 because 
of the tweet that went around the world talking about the U.S. Republican candidate Denver Riggleman uh, being outed for liking Bigfoot erotic fiction, which, by the way, according to Blaine McCarty, wasn't it his name, who wrote the big paper that we we talked yeah. about, uh, according to him, some of the most uh, successful Bigfoot erotica is written by women mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. So I don't know about Denver Riggleman here, but whatever. Um, he, he was outed as an alleged fan of Bigfoot erotic fiction. Although I think that Darren Nash here has a point that it might actually have been some sort of ploy to downplay, downplay this candidate's more worrying association with white supremacists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whatever. Um, but basically, uh, he's, he starts talking about Bigfoot penises. And, and there's this whole article. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's long. Uh, but he talks about that there just really aren't that many uh, sightings where penises are really discussed. There are a few. One of the most famous ones is the Redwoods incident, which is also known as the Playboy footage, yeah. which is the, we talked about that last time where, you know, there was a woman and they were filming out in the woods, uh, Playboy, you know, uh, film. And uh, after they had finished filming for the night, some giant hairy man beast came running into the clearing where the lady had been and his penis was out and doing things. It was erect and bouncing and all these things, these things happened. Um, and you know, the fact that it was a playboy film, I, I've seen the, the, the video, of course I had to look at it. Um, (laughs) you can't see anything. I really don't know what people are seeing. That's this giant sickle, shaped penis I, i'm just like guys you got some wishful thinking i don't know because <laughs> i don't see it i just don't see it um and then they, they talk about albert ostman and ostman said you know basically that that the the big daddy bigfoot had a penis it was there but it wasn't much of anything to talk about um but also there are very few discussions of what female genitalia on a bigfoot look like Um, there is one instance, uh, John Green wrote about it in his book, Sasquatch, The Apes Among Us, uh, but he didn't give the man's name. The, the man came out with his name later and his name, this is great. This is why I have to mention it is John Thomas, which (laughs) if you are an old person or British, you know what that means. That is a euphemism for a penis. A John Thomas is a penis. <laughs> this may not have been his actual name you're thinking. <laughs> so I I read that today and cracked up. The child said, what are you laughing at, Mom? And I said, John Thomas. And he just shook his head. His father laughed, but he just shook his head and was like, you all are crazy. So anyway. We are all crazy. He, yeah, I'm, I'm like, you've been in this family your whole life. You should know. Um, So he encountered two Bigfoots sleeping out in the open. And they were sleeping 
face down with their arms sort of wrapped under them and their knees up. So kind of in a fetal position, but face down. Kind of child's pose. A yeah, bit. child's pose. Kind of so tucked the, all up. With the rump. Yeah, with the rump elevated. Up. Yeah, elevated. And that's how he could tell they were female. Um, one of these animals um, had breasts, which means the other one maybe did not or they weren't noticeable. And the one who had breasts had a swelling of the genital region, which it kept rubbing. Um, it's not described any further than that. So, you know, this is an, a paleontologist and, and, you know, a zoologist. So he's like, you know, presumably we're talking about a modest swelling of the sort seen in various primates, including gibbons and gorillas not the pronounced and striking structure seen in chimps, bonobos, and various monkeys, which, you know, mm -hmm. those are like, you know. Intense. Very. It's like, whoa. Somebody put some paint on there. Um, but it mentions the skookum cast, which is the cast of the Bigfoot where it sat down in the mud to eat oh, apples. Yeah. <laughs> well, apparently there is a faint what you could interpret as labia, labia majora. If you don't know what that is out there, look it up. Yeah. I'm not going to hold your hand <laughs> because you don't want my description of what that is without Latin. I am crushing the urge to channel my great grandmother right now. <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah, please, please crush the urge to not be Graham. Um, please, I'm trying. So, so apparently, there, there is it. The um, labia looks basically the similar form and um, proportion to those of a human. So there we have it. Um, but we don't hear about that very much. I imagine it would be more difficult to notice female genitalia. I would on a two-legged being. Yeah. We took our business away discreetly. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, we're tidy. Yeah, we, we keep that stuff. You know. Well, you know, like the classic thing with uh, Anthropology 101 is they talk about the Yanomamo, and they basically wear very, very little, but the, uh, the women and girls are always very uh, careful to put a little bit of like a spiderweb or cobweb uh, over the genitals or anus and, and sit and squat and everything in position so that you don't display that part of the body. Right. So I don't know, maybe the, the big feet, well, not those two lady big feet, I guess. Huh? No, they, <laughs> they, were, was, they, they probably they were didn't all expect anybody to stumble across them. You know, they yeah, were basically in their bedroom. Like, yeah, they didn't. Know. I would just crash also, out without cobweb was, underpants if I was in my bedroom. <laughs> cobweb underpants is a great band name. It was snowing that night, too. So they were out there like that in the snow. And I'm like, no wonder she was rubbing her lady parts. She's making sure they didn't freeze. I know. That's the terrible. Scenario seems a little odd. Yeah. But, I mean, unless they had, I don't know, like had like some vaginismus or something and there was, you know, like an infection, in which case it yeah. was like airing you know, it out. Yeah. And cooling yeah. it down. Itchy. Who knows? Um, so 
that's what you know people who actually study science say about bigfoot genitalia and then there's this guy i am gonna say his name because it was printed in vanity fair because this guy i'm just like this is the one that the kid was really just scandalized that i was even reading it um so this is talking this is from 2008 and this is talking about a bigfoot conference in texas the title of the article by Eric Spitznagel is Everything's Bigfoot in Texas. Very cute. Uh, in a high school cafetorium, a small man in his mid-70s was lecturing to a rapt audience of several hundred people. Dr. Henner Fahrenbach, a retired zoologist from Oregon, is also a self-proclaimed expert in the behavioral habits of a bipedal ape sometimes known as Sasquatch. Their top speed for running is between 42 and 45 miles per hour, Fahrenbach told the crowd in a thick German accent, which I am doing my best not to sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger right now. They can cover 90 feet in just 33 steps or 30 feet per step. So obviously they have immensely powerful thighs and legs in general. He is convinced that Sasquatch is not only real, but borderline supernatural, a monster straight out of Greek mythology. And he goes on. Sasquatch has been observed walking with 200-pound pigs under his arms through the countryside. Notice he says his. Yep. Fehrenbach declared, on other occasions, he's been witnessed grabbing three goats with one arm and walking over a five-foot fence without breaking stride. I have read that case. Drawing on interviews with dozens of eyewitnesses, here we come. It's coming. It's about, it's <laughs> almost here. Fehrenbach went on to say that Bigfoot's diet is rich in mussels, clams, peacocks, and the hindquarter <laughs> of deer. Now, okay, this is the first place where I have to stop and comment because where the hell is he getting peacocks? This isn't India. <laughs> what? What? This is in Asia. I mean, I know Midwesterners have these, this weird fetish for having pet peacocks that scream in the middle of the night and terrify people. Yeah. It's an Ohio thing. They do it. They do it in the Midwest. I don't understand it, but we got peacocks? it here too. Yeah. Really? I mean, peacocks, Bigfoot's going after the peacocks. I mean, I would. They're loud, they're annoying, and they're pretty. Maybe like, maybe Mrs. Maybe Bigfoot. They, maybe they like the feathers. feathers. Yeah, yeah, it could be. And the hind quarter of deer. Not the he front insists quarter. In, only the hind. <laughs> only, only the back it, end. Only man. the dark meat, yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he, he insists that Bigfoots enjoy wrestling, tickle fights, and most surprisingly, here it comes, gang bangs. Oh my god. He assures us that even a horny Sasquatch has an impeccable sense of orgy etiquette. That's why I'm reading this, because I've just that sentence right there. Even a horny Sasquatch has an impeccable sense of orgy etiquette. And then he goes on. No, there's more? There's more. Of course, only this one, guy's into it. <laughs> there's only one more sentence. He's in his 70s, man. I, he's got an imagination. When an especially large male came onto the scene, 
This is a direct quote, Fahrenbach said, describing a sexual pileup involving one willing female and lots of dudes. He didn't try to buck the line, but simply stood there and took his turn in good time. Now, Vanity Fair is not just a little tiny podunk diddly squat magazine. It is a national magazine. And this dude said these things. I I can't even. This man makes me feel so much better about our podcast sometimes. <laughs> like at least we haven't said these words in Vanity Fair. Like we might be silly, we might sound kooky, we might be a little out there, but we have never described a Bigfoot orgy to Vanity Fair. Nope. Nope. I mean, we've now discussed somebody else describing a Bigfoot orgy. <laughs> that's because that's... I couldn't suffer this crap alone. I mean, really, what, 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 what even? What? <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was that line as I was underlining it, the child looked over my shoulder and was like, mother. I was like, I... <sighs> the things I do for the podcast. Well, that's the thing that, because in that Hannah's uh, uh, article about the, the folkloric aspect of um, Bigfoot, I thought what it was uh, fascinating, she was talking about um, kind of uh, th about three different phases of Bigfoot stories uh, in the United States, North America. And she talks about the phase one would be like the, the myths of folklore of uh, uh, indigenous people. And uh, second phase starts coming around like uh, mid 1800s till around the 1950s and then the 50, 1950s to today. Um, but she talks about how uh, the original stories, folklore and myths were, uh, you know, oral stories told, you know, as we're doing here um, for a particular audience, they carry with them the, uh, the personality, uh, the skill, the charisma of the particular storyteller, and they're told mm -hmm. to a particular audience. Um, and then when you have the kind of, uh, let's say, frontier uh, uh, era of like the mid-1800s and, and uh, up into the 1950s, uh, it tended to be witness counts that were written up in uh, newspapers. So you mm -hmm. have like yellow right. journalism. Uh, you had some kind of, I'm sure, hoaxy stuff. And it's all very much in this um, through uh, very mediated through print media. Mm -hmm. um, then when you start to get into the 50s, it starts to free up a little bit more with TV and radio. But then she talks about how with podcasting, it's come back to, again, uh, very oral uh, storytelling. Yeah. Uh, you have a lot of people that are uh, either writing up their stories and sending them in or a ton of these shows. You have people just narrating their own stories in their own voice. Two, and she talks as well about how the a lot of these podcasts they'll have like uh, fan pages or forums or you know like uh, social media accounts, Facebook groups where people can develop a community, mm -hmm. and how this is harkening back to you know indigenous communities. There's a, a similar uh, structure there. Um, mm -hmm. So I thought uh, that was fascinating. Um, how she uh, drew that across and how we're seeing a resurgence of kind of the oral uh, small communities where people can uh, discuss this. 
um, with each other. But, and we touched on this in the last show, Barbara, um, there is always this strain of people that uh, really get into the whole idea of erotic contact or these various types of scenarios and decide to go there. And, you know, there's always people that um, get interested that other people have to hear what, you know, that, that you have someone who's not suspecting that you're going to go there and then you do. <laughs> That's why I warned everybody. Yeah. Because, <clears throat> um, oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, and that type of thing. It's funny because um, uh, I, after the last show, for whatever reason, I started getting uh, people sending me more stuff having to do with BDSM stuff. Now I have it. Actually, I have an interest in sex magic, so that makes sense. Um, I was mortified to find out that I had used the word. I had talked about myself being a brat to someone on the last show, oh, no. which I had, which I had no idea. <laughs> oh no! And then, like about a couple oh, months afterwards, I'm like completely mortified. <laughs> like I had no idea. Oh yeah, I mean, oh, no. I, I I knew. It. I mean, I you know I I grew up across the bay from San Francisco in the 1970s. I mean, I knew about BDSM stuff all, but I just did not know that that was like a particular type of yep. uh, submissive person. I can only hope that the person I talked about that never listens to that show. <laughs> <laughs> but this is typical for you. So people are saying, "I'm thinking, why are people?" <laughs> Oh, oh well, oops, what? oops. Water oops. under the bridge. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So you see where this guy's talking about orgy etiquette and stuff, and you kind of tell, yeah, he's interested in this whole kind of subculture and wants and thinks it would be even more exciting with it from like a Sasquatch perspective. <laughs> I, I'm still trying to go. Where are you getting your information, sir? I mean, this is sounding like fanfic. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. That's what I would it's, think. Yeah, it's. I, but he's a retired anthropologist. I, I, I guess they write fanfic too. But um, I had a I studied anthropology at Cal State Hayward long ago, and there was a actually a anthropologist of California Indigenous people who was very uh, respected. But he had a very well known uh, wild sexual life that was not very standard especially back then and nowadays would probably get him in trouble with ethics <laughs> so yeah, I think Maybe. some people are, are anthropologists because it, you can talk about sex yeah <laughs> and get away with it <laughs> yeah and a lot of like stuff that's like well of course in our society this isn't considered to be ethical or normal but, but you know there's these other these other societies where it's completely natural and everyone of course thinks it's great yeah so i read that today and i was just like okay 42 to 45 miles per hour dude <laughs> were you following these guys with a with a stopwatch i mean where did you you could you could take an I suppose you could get a whole bunch have a database of a whole <laughs> bunch of sightings and 
figure out the distance and the speed from the distance that the Sasquatches were moving and then do an average. Still, that's... I will, I will give the man that possibility because... But has he been, like, registering at, like, swingers conventions in the woods or something? I mean, what's... <laughs> yeah, that I don't... I, I you know... I, I want to just... know the story about this. Yeah, at I was like, point. where, sir, do where you get your, your information? Notes? Yes, yes, <laughs> where are your field notes? Where are the field notes? <laughs> That's what we <laughs> but then we'd have to see if he's like sketching it out. <laughs> oh, God. Maybe we don't oh, want to see and the is there participant observation? Yeah, yeah. At this point, I and that's the thing is there's there's you know not th there hasn't been that many observations of sexual activity, so that's why I read that and was like, what? So yeah, it's it just I I don't know, I don't know. I don't know if, speaking of uh, erotic Bigfoots in the forest, if we want to talk a little bit about, um, after our last show, Dan Dutton, who is an artist in Kentucky, and he's uh, heavily involved with the Penny Roll podcast, so people like listening to that, um, sent us a, uh, he'd written up an encounter that he had up in the Pacific Northwest Redwood Forest with kind of like a cosmically erotic Bigfoot energy idea. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and read that. That's that was interesting. Yeah, he's a he's a great writer and uh, he I've spent a fair amount of time in these redwood forests uh, growing up as a girl and he really captures the spirit of the forest so uh, <clears throat> we can have now this this is a weird one for me because you know I, I love talking about all this stuff. I never actually none of this stuff it seems remotely erotic to me, <laughs> Bigfoot-wise. Until I, I was, that. yeah. Until I read the story of Dan's, I'm like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, <clears throat> okay, he's uh, narrating this. One of my nephews decided to get married in the Olympic Peninsula, and a bunch of family and friends flew out there and stayed in park cabins for the event. There was a trail not far from the lodge, just a half-mile loop, and since we were a variety of ages and walking abilities, that distance seemed about right for a group walk. The walk we took was just a taste of the rainforest, but not nearly enough of a taste for me. See, this is his first, you know, he's getting into it. On the loop, the different speeds of walking split the group up, and some, when they arrived back at the parking lot where the trail began, went back to their cabins, while others were still on the trail. The result was uncertainty whether everyone was back out of the woods or not, and fancying myself a herd and a guide, I volunteered to retrace the trail and make sure that everyone had made it out safe and sound. I wanted to see it all again anyway, and see it alone. See, see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I said he was asking for it. <laughs> he was. He was. He was being uh, lured in. You know, yep. it's an incredible place. He says, I wanted to see it alone. So I set off at an easy run, planning to slow and enjoy once I was deeper in the forest. It was late afternoon, the time that photographers call the golden hour. The gilding sunlight streamed down in slants through acres of what looked like green lace hanging from towering conifers, flaring green gold in a phantasmagoria of giant 
ostrich feather fern fronds, illuminating great hummocks of cushion deep moss, sprouting finger-shaped fungi, nurse logs with perched on baby hemlocks, hanging beard tendrils of jade, algae lichen, bejeweled with mist drops, all of it draped with roots and tangles, inching over and through every available surface, emblazoned with sunset lime fire. What a beautiful forest. Halfway around the loop, I stowed, taking as much as I could, letting myself miniaturize beneath the impossibly huge trees. The vast quiet suddenly stark in contrast to my breath, but muted, everything softened by so much moss. Peering into the patterns of spaces between the plants, I became aware of how thick the growth actually was. Off the trail, it looked as if it would be literally impossible to walk through. The forest appeared impenetrable, filled with trunks and stalks and logs and tangles of cloudberry, so dense that only a very small creature could wriggle through it. The only creatures I had seen were giant adorable slugs as big as small bananas, cruising the moss in olive drab, khaki, glow-in-the-dark chartreuse, translucent white, and burnt umber, with every possible combination of these shades and pintos, easing their way through the densest vegetation on slides of iridescent slime. Now I'm breaking in to let everyone know that those are banana slugs. They are the only animals that can break down redwood uh, forest material. Redwood is very durable, but uh, they are known to have orgies, so we're talking as far as orgy etiquette, they have it down. They have it. Yes, the orgies in the in the redwood forest. So coming in uh, again, Dan, as I marveled at the dizzying kaleidoscope of illuminated greenery, a sudden realization jolted me. This is exactly the sort of place in which people see Bigfoot. The novelty of the thought corresponding to the eerie charm of my surroundings gave me pause. Had I just seen, heard, or smelt something out of the ordinary? In the midst of so much sensual information, the leading edge of awareness is as hard to pin down as a green hair in a haystack. The possibility that I might be sensing a presence subliminally gave me a thrill, a rush that rooted me to the spot. What, I wondered, if Bigfoot is actually very attractive? Hairiness and bulk are not automatic disqualifiers in my book. Contraire, a positive attraction. What if he isn't even a male of our narrow ways, but something more wonderfully refined, able to slip in and out of trans-dimensional forest passageways as easily as a slug over a leaf? What if I were to wind up in a snug cave with a nest of moss, night wind rushing over the boughs of this enchanted forest, content in an interspecies dream? Then I began to wonder if such thoughts were themselves an extension out into the green psychedelic brocade advertising my availability with the randy abandon of some crazed orchid pouring forth a skanky perfume to lure a giant elusive moth with, with a long uncrolling proboscis capable of getting in deep and sucking out the nectar. Was I responding to some smell? There was definitely an unusual scent in the air. A flush of heat shot through my body and I poised for a moment on the edge of taking off all my clothes. Then I panicked. <laughs> <laughs> As I began to flee, first walking quickly, then a lope, then running hard, I noticed that I was in a low depression in the forest, the black duff moistening into puddles, a soak at the edge of a little branch. Out of the inky loam poked the strange flower spikes of skunk's cabbage, erotic prawns jutting up into the twilight, spewing scent. The air was filled with funk. I ran. So he gets back. 
And then when he gets back home, he uh, says, I googled my way to a cryptozoology site with visitor testimonies, tales submitted of a hulking shape crossing a late night road, footprints plaster cast by a stream, weird howls, etc. Then an odd one. A woman jogger who heard strange sounds then saw something like a box of quivering air tremble on the trail ahead of her. Out of it stepped a Bigfoot who looked around, saw her, stepped back in, and zipped the air closed again. I wrote to the site saying that I had had an unusual experience. Was there any connection between Bigfoot and skunk cabbage? An answer shot back through cyberspace, fishing for a story which might be evidence. The skunk cabbage info proffered as bait. So I wrote, something not quite as frank as the story I've recounted here. The answer returned, skunk cabbage is Bigfoot's favorite food. And he writes, skunk cabbage is an arum related to other odd plants like Jack in the Pulpit. Of course, these are plants that are look very sexual as far as their flowers. Very phallic, very vulvic. Together, it has a strange powers of heat production. Not only does the plant cause a burning sensation when tasted, perhaps it's the Bigfoot capsicum, but the emerging flower buds produce enough heat to melt snow. It does this with its electrons somehow, so maybe it's not so much of a stretch for me to wonder if these quivering particles of funk are at once a favorite food, body, and home. And perhaps Bigfoot is waiting still for me to get over my shyness. <laughs> That's a great story. I love that story. He, because, of course, one of my interests, I'm like, I'm sitting here, I have no idea why anyone would be, be sending me about BDSM. So, of course, one of my interests is in erotic encounters, sexual encounters with discarnate beings. <laughs> he, <laughs> he does a great job in this story of, um, kind of taking you through how many people find this to kind of uh, unfold, which sometimes it will be like right on you really quickly, but other times it's, you're just kind of like noticing and your mind is going someplace and you're not you're just like very uh, physically sense, sensually aware of everything impacting you. And then it's like all of a sudden, and it's the same with a, a lot of the alien encounters too, but they say it's like, mm -hmm. you're kind of, and all of a sudden it's like, Bammo, it's like this hyper erotic and you are just um wanting to uh it's just it's like all of a sudden it's like no slow buildup it's like all of a sudden it's like this super erotic charge like right then mm -hmm. I mean, people talk about on alien spaceships it's like you know it's like orgasm like like instantly i've talked to people who have uh sexual relationships with uh, people that they had relationships with when they were alive and know that they're dead and you know you don't you hope that you're not in a public place when this person decides to lay it on you <laughs> <laughs> let's just put it that way and it's very very similar here and he also has a great sense of um this also with a lot of these uh encounters with space people aliens that uh there's a sense of the earth as an entire ecological being and how important that is. And it's like his encounter here is very much like uh, Bigfoot is like an emanation of the entire forest and all its creatures and everything going on. It is like a very overwhelming on that sense too. It's like the opposite of panic. Yeah. It's the erotic form of pan, not the terrifying 
form of pan. So, yeah. I mean, and there is some connection with the wild men of Europe and the satyrs, pan and wild men and Bigfoot. So, you know, that may all be the same energy in just different shapes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a, it's amazing to me because like I, I said, uh, you know, I'm California girl born and bred and we did a lot of camping and stuff growing up and the, these redwood forests are rainforests and they're just incredible. And they are incredibly quiet because you have the moss, you have the duff, the redwoods, their bark is like, this is super friable stuff. And it's just super quiet but everything's like really green and super lush and there's giant salamanders <laughs> oh it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah. that was my favorite part of northern california was the the big redwoods and oh. how people not only does the forest make the absorb sound which it does because of all the stuff that's in it that just sucks the sound out of the air but people quiet themselves like when we got into the we went to myrrh woods and in the parking lot you know there were all these tourists and talk 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 it sounded like a bunch of starlings chattering and they were loud and they walked into the forest and everybody was so overawed everybody just became quiet and it was like this and it wasn't just that the forest ate the sound it was that the people were so it there is it just the air changes everything changes and you just become quiet well, everything ancient. they are there and you you're, can feel it and you're from another time practically it. like these are your elders yes yeah and it is truly a sacred place <laughs> and it, it did amaze me that you know even the loudest of tourists once they got there were just quiet it, oh, that's was, remarkable. it was beautiful. Yeah. That's that's one of my favorite places ever. I'm glad you like it. I yeah. It's not yeah. It's really and it's just the the like you said, the quality of the light because these these trees th- these trees will uh uh grow with each other. They their root systems are very interpenetrating. You have a lot of uh rings. You'll have like a kind of a mother tree and then mm-hmm. when that tree dies, they'll have all these pups around making these huge circles. And um and they hold each other up, these huge they're very tall <laughs> trees too. Um they hold each other up by inter interlacing their roots. And so um they're very ancient and they're very interconnected. It's not so much like just one big tree. It's very much a, a forest of all the interconnected trees. And then the light comes through and it's just uh, uh, full of dust and at these incredible slanting angles. It's really, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's magical without even trying. It's, yeah. it's just what it is. It's it's a beautiful place. And if that's where Bigfoot lives, no wonder they're magical and can, you know, appear and disappear and, you know, do all the things. And if they're having orgies out there, good on them. Um, I know. <laughs> I'm glad they have etiquette. Uh, have maybe they, they learned... Maybe they learned it from the the slugs. I, I don't we, know. We also have uh, newts around here that have um, newt orgies and uh, the, the California newt... Um, 
and they have orgies in ponds. Actually, there was one just a few days ago up in the mountains east of here. Uh, and I, I've seen them myself. And uh, then also we have a lot of uh, bugs that will uh, congregate in groups and, and have an orgy. Thing. Yes, actually, but probably my uh, most popular video ever was on Facebook. I I have a friend, Alex Bolin. He's actually very into Sasquatch. He has some, if you, his old podcast was called the Alex Cast. And you can go there. He has a number of, uh, of uh, podcasts on Sasquatch. Sasquatch and sex magic dating back to like 2015 and stuff. So if people are into Sasquatch, that's fun. But um, so one time I saw all these bugs on a bush or something and they're all having an orgy. And so I filmed it uh, with kind of like a David Attenborough voiceover to bother him. because <laughs> So I posted it on Facebook. This has got like a thousand views or something. <laughs> I'm like, this felt like my most popular, this bug orgy. This is just like not even like exciting bugs. But when people just, you know, I'm like triple X rated nude orgy. People are like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for the orgy. It's the bugs. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's what it is. It's the bugs. So oh, we wow. can't rule out Bigfoot either. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if, if it's an interdimensional, Maybe they can be invisible. They could be having orgies, and we just don't know. We we don't know, you know. And we're and be. we're and we're the ones that don't have good orgy interdimensional orgy. <laughs> yeah, That's we're barging right. in on everybody. Yeah, knocking. Hey, what's not going using on? protection? Yeah, <laughs> shaking our head. That just we need to get our acts together as humanity. Yeah, yeah, on so many things. Yeah. Well. Anything else to add before we end on humans having poor orgy etiquette and invisible <laughs> Bigfoot orgies? Well, I do want to say that, um, again, uh, maybe part of the reason we don't really get to talk about Bigfoot as a female is because the cultural propensity in America is to view Bigfoot universally as male whether or not it is um he is she is they are yeah. um that may be the case and and it may be that a lot of people who are interested in bigfoot really are interested in it as a masculine symbol but not everybody who you know follows bigfoot around or you know goes searching for bigfoot is one of those hyper masculine people uh, there's plenty of, of you know, non-hyper-masculine people out there doing it and doing it in different ways. So, uh, and I guess the only other thing I want to say is even if it's a symbol, it's also a creature that may be physical or may not be or sometimes is or sometimes isn't. Um and it, you can have a physical experience with it sometimes, like that lady from the UK who apparently didn't speak English, <laughs> according to the cop. Ooh. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes they're not. Yeah. And they just throw sticks at people and are invisible. So, Invisible uh, su seducers out in the forest. Yeah. With their skunk cabbage. Yeah, I'll definitely post a picture of skunk, skunk cabbage and Jack in the pulpit because 
then people will get the kind of symbolism. Yeah. It's hard and to yeah. miss. Yeah, yeah, it is. Reason. Back in the pulpit, really. Yeah. Is it, is it symbolism or is it like a diagram? I don't right? know. <laughs> it's the forest's diagram for, for people. This is in case you don't know how to do it. <clears throat> uh, well, thank you so much for joining us again. We'll have to do it again. Oh, yeah. It was a treat to speak to both you, Morgan. It was really fun uh, speaking with you. It was good to see you again. And uh, yeah, just you would think, but th this topic seems to just uh, ha have a whole head of steam. We, we've uh, ran across something today that could be a starter for uh, another another, another episode. Yeah, you could you could tell what that one was, and if people are interested, they'll tell us. Uh, yeah, what was it? Uh, what? Uh, let me see where it was. Uh, David Metcalf, who was. Um, the start of all our troubles before uh, shared an article, which is a, what is it? A, um, this is the wrong one. Uh, collection. Uh, oh, here we go. Monster theory reader. So this guy has compiled a bunch of uh, articles, academic articles. He is aiming for a scholarship of the fantastic. How can we talk about this subject academically? the subject of monsters, of which Bigfoot would be one. And so there is a whole idea of uh, academic uh, uh, subject of monster theory. So uh, you have these creatures that are possibly physical, demi-physical, uh, mythological, uh, discarnate, but yet they all share uh, certain characteristics and kind of like functions in culture. And how can we get into that? But that seems like that could be a real good thing to look at as far as um, Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. So our springboard for uh, the, the next one. And then also um, I have another uh, a lady who, uh, Martin Kottmeyer uh, wrote it up, a lady in 1978 who decided to uh, contact Bigfoot, Cosmic Bigfoot, Foot through meditation. We could talk about that. Uh, Claudia Ackley oh, yeah. is a uh, woman who has been researching Bigfoot and is active politically, uh, trying to get uh, Bigfoot looked at as a, uh, a physical creature that people should be warned about that's in our national parks. Um, she has a very interesting story about uh, some of the transformations that she has gone through after uh, interacting with Bigfoot, having sightings, researching and so on are very similar to the after effects of people that have uh, like a near-death experience very transformative oh that is interesting yeah so we have plenty more to dig into <laughs> in definitely yeah definitely well thank you thank you for coming back thank, thank you so you. much <laughs> i had a great time that was really fun you had some wild stuff there barbara i have to hand it to you <laughs> A big thanks to Dan Dutton too for sharing that story with us. Yes, yes. I love that story. He's a he's a great writer. Yeah, he's a sweet man too, and a great artist. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast, or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at six djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, 
and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.